To know about the future of work, you need to know about the tools that we are currently using in which the reaction will be the change of workforce and what's coming up next. Well, welcome everyone to the new season, season three of the World of Work podcast. And I'm super delighted to kick this off with my first guest. His name is Timothée Bardet. And we'll be talking about new workforce paradigms. Let me tell you a little bit about Tim. Besides the fact that I've been working with him and with his agency since a couple of years, since I've decided to build up my own practice about the world of work and design world of work programs. Um, he's actually been in the business of building several tech companies over the past 15 years. And he is now the managing director of Z Digital Agency. The interesting thing about this agency, it's a collective of 50 plus, you know, senior entrepreneurs, and they provide digital support from A to Z to, to their clients. He's also an investor, a board member, and a mentor for other companies in other domains, other industries, such as, for example, the wine industry, not bad indeed, e-commerce, SaaS, and cybersecurity. With no further ado, let's tune into this fascinating conversation with Tim. I've been basically building a few companies over the past 15 years, I think five of them. Each of them have been completely different in terms of workforce. Um, from um, the freelancer model that I'm going to talk about with 43 people now in the digital agency to um, classic companies with uh, very hands-on CEOs um, and many levels of management to very large corporations with also a lot of layers of management. Um, to small group of employees, uh, startup related, but um, all in-house. So basically I've been experiencing them all. And I think the idea was mainly, who do I really want to work with? Uh, mm -hmm. Became the question when I had the luxury to do so after I, I sold my previous companies. And the second question was, how do I want to work? Um, and the two answers to this have been the following. Number one, I really wanted to work with entrepreneurs and CEOs of companies that I did admire. And all these people, they were very talented, some of them very specialized, some of them actually pretty versatile, but there were about 20 people I really wanted to work with. And that's how the digital agency started. 20 people I really wanted to work with. Then the question was, what can we do together? And that's how I started building the digital agency to bring missions um, into it. The second thing was I wanted to have impact. I have seen a lot of PowerPoints, presentations. I've seen a lot of business plans. I've seen a lot of bullshit financials uh, <laughs> delivered um, to investors, to partners, to clients. And I really wanted to get out of this and only focus on impact. So the entire idea behind Zedital Agency was to have these 20 people at the beginning working with no PowerPoints, only on impacts. Um, dedicated to clients for mainly SMEs at the beginning. Now we are moving also to larger corporations or smaller corporations. And yeah, having impact for them, meaning doing the right things at the right time in the right order. No matter what uh, the market is telling you, the trend is telling you, or the management is telling you. So the idea for us is to have direct access to um, yeah. stakeholders. Now, this is a very interesting point, and I'd like your view as a founder, because you're the founder of that, of this agency, right? You, or, or you, these 20 people, but 
how do you, and what I've noticed for founders and for startups, but actually also for big corporations at times, is there's a sense of control. And therefore often the PowerPoints serve several purposes. The purpose, number one, for people to justify their jobs, I find <laughs> to a great extent. <laughs> uh, so, you know, let's keep ourselves PowerPoint busy and uh, absorbent. And, and, and then the other one is to perhaps allow the flow of the conversation. So that, 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 that is a helpful uh, thing. But what I've noticed is the control factor. So how do you, as a founder, have learned to let go, or maybe that's not even been part of your concern at all, and say, no, guys, just go out there. I don't want any PowerPoints. Um, just go out there, do, do what you need to do for the clients and have, have impact. How do, you, how do you balance those two things? That's a very interesting question because it's the one that is basically preventing a lot of corporations from, from achieving the innovation they really want to get. Um, the first is to trust people. I think it's the number one priority. Trusting, meaning letting them do mistakes. Uh, it does happen all the time, even, even by us. The second thing is to work with senior people. It's true you don't behave the same way with junior uh, interns as you do with seniors. Everybody in the digital agency is a senior entrepreneur. Uh, we don't have junior, we don't have interns. Um, so it's a bit different in terms of organization. The second thing is to have common methodology and common processes. So every single case, every single mission is different, but the methodology to reach our goals is the same. Having clear goals, measurable, uh, then the path that we take to reach this goal is our problem. Mm. The second thing is to have clear communication and weekly communication. We know about it um, with all our clients. Even if we have nothing to say, just to catch up, just to know um, the feeling uh, and everything. So it's not about having uh, being meeting freak, but just having one clear date every, every week uh, with our clients and within the team as well. The second thing is to challenge each other. So I am not a specialist for everything, but I do challenge my team on many topics and they do challenge me on my topics um, as well. Mm -hmm. the third thing is to give them full flexibility meaning they work whenever they want at mm -hmm. night for some of them uh, on the morning for me for instance i changed my way of working because i got a small daughter yes the and what matters is the impact and what you're doing you can work from anywhere you can work from whenever you want but you have to deliver what matters is the deliverable, and which is very different from any corporation where you have to show up. You have to show that you're working hard. It has to feel hard. You have to present stuff at the end. It's not a measurable goal, goal uh, a PowerPoint presentation. It's just a tool to mm -hmm. communicate. Why would we spend so much time to communicate to others, um, mm -hmm. especially when it's less about having something in the PowerPoint presentation that is important, it's about how does it look like? And we don't care about how it looks like. What we care is the measurable goal at the end. Yes, yes, it's it's true. I, I know that there are even um, offshore companies that do PowerPoint presentations uh, for you, which I, <laughs> I find extraordinary. Well, I mean, in some fields, uh, in your field, in marketing and communication, I'm assuming anyway, visuals are important, that the image is important, the branding is important. So, okay, there's, there's, but internal uh, PowerPoint presentations is really what we're referring to here that uh, often do eat up a lot of, a lot of people's time. 
Um, and all of this fits nicely in, in the bigger topic on how we're seeing these shifts of paradigms. PowerPoint may be one of them, but bigger shifts of paradigms. What I liked what you said, you know, in companies, often it's about showing up. Uh, whereas the future should be less about showing up in terms of you know, your physical presence, but more the impact that you do. And some other shifts that I'm seeing that people are aware of, but companies really have difficulties in adapting is, for example, it's less about fitting in, fitting in a certain mold. It's more about as well figuring it out as you, as you move, uh, uh, you know, in this fluid, let's say, workforce environment. And, and it's less about a company taking care of your development, like the cookie, the cookie cutter approach, you know, the talent factory. And it's more about how do you become an entrepreneur of yourself? Tell me a little bit how you're seeing the future of the workforce, because once again, it seems like your agency incorporates a lot of these shifts and ways of thinking when it comes to, to, to workforce. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are only at the very beginning of uh, what we want to achieve with the, the agency, if I may still call it like this. Mm -hmm. I would call it more collective than an agency, by the way. Um, and about the future of work, that's a very interesting topic. That's a, a fascinating topic. To put it in a nutshell, the future of work is most of the time a reaction to the evolution of tools. So beginning of the 20th century, you had specialization, Fordism, everything. Then after the Second World War, you had automation mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of machinery coming into place. And starting in the 80s, you had digitalization. All of these elements have been actually shaping the workforce and not the other way around. It's mm -hmm. not the workforce that has been shaping um, the tools. So it's always a reaction. So to know about the future of work, you need to know about the tools that we are currently using in which the reaction will be the change of workforce and what's coming up next. And this mm -hmm. brings me to the following. Number one, um, the flexibility in both location and the rhythm, the pace at which you work. The second thing is the, the new coming of microservices. The entire digitalization is about microservices. You have several tools to do a single project. And these microservices will be also the evolution of the workforce. You, because everything is getting more, more and more complex, you will have people being more and more specialized doing microservices, maybe several of them, because you don't want to be over-specialized, but that's how it may work. And then within the company, you will have coordination. Coordination will become the key to coordinate all these services and all these people, whether they are inside the company or they are outside the company. Of course, like any evolution, it will bring some reaction forces. So what I'm guessing is that in 2025, 2030, we're going to see the opposite reaction force coming up. Like we want to reintegrate everybody within the company. We want to um, get back to the old models. Um, there will be this, this, this reaction force coming up. It's going to be right after we have developed all this um, remote work, flexible work, um, freelancer approach. There will be the opposite force. But this will be overcome to follow the tools that will be an ever-increasing set of microservices, digital tools, um, asynchronous work as well, I think it's very important. We don't have to work all the time together to give you a, a rough idea. 
any member of my team can work from anywhere in the world. The only thing that I'm ask, I'm asking is four hours together per day. So I know you're working with Martin, for instance, for my team. Mm -hmm. He's currently in Dominican Republic. So he's working, waking up at 5 a.m. to work with the team. Um, and he's kitesurfing in the afternoon. That's one way to do it. Uh, when I built a digital agency, I was living in New Zealand for a year. I wanted to do a world tour. Unfortunately, COVID came up. So I stayed in New Zealand with 13 hours um, time zone difference with Europe. So I was working from four in the afternoon to three in the morning. It was my reason. And it's, it's okay. I was working very well during the afternoon because nobody was up and I could do asynchronous work. So I think it's also something very important. And the last well, element of the... Sorry. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a lot of stuff uh, you packed into <laughs> five minutes. Uh, and I'd like to unpack a couple of them, if you don't mind. Sure. <clears throat> the, the first one, which I thought was really interesting that you said, and that I did not think of that way, uh, is the backlash. And I'm kind of wondering where that comes from, um, where you think that comes from, besides which could be a, a normal natural resistance to what has really been an accelerated change. And now people are saying, no, 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 no. Now we go back to what it used to be. And I'm seeing that as well, by the way. The fact you mentioned it made me think in terms of, well, now I know quite a few companies who are quite adamant about their return to work policy. So I'm curious about that, that you see there's going to be that backlash in the next couple of years, going back to what we know, going back to integrating the workforce, the, let's say the traditional way, and then ultimately maybe overcome by this new flexible workforce that you are already depicting and kind of living. So that's the first thing I'd like to, what makes you say that it's not going to be a linear so linear is a strong word, but that's not going to be like a progressive way forward, but actually we're going to be holding on to the past. Well, I think it's very human first. Um, in, in politics, for instance, there is always a reaction force. Uh, when you had globalization, now you have actually nationalism that is taking over. Um, and we are overcoming this um, currently, but it's a natural reaction for humans. The second thing is um, there will be problems because we are setting up new workforce, flexible workforce, remote workforce, microservices, and all of this requires high level of coordination. And it's not the management, the good old time management that we know. So there will be some mistakes made, and this will provide excuses for reintegrating everything as it was before. Um, that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. And then the problem with this is that people will be already used to work in a certain way, and they are going to lose the best elements. I'm going to come back on this later. So only in companies that have reintegrated and reacted to this new workforce, you they will lose their best elements. And that's how we will probably overcome it. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'll invite you in three years' time and let's see. <laughs> Let's see, let's see where we're at. Um, the, the other thing that you, you were mentioning were, I think there's several what I would call maybe characteristics. I mean, it's not that simple to implement a model like that of, of uh, that workforce, because you were saying, for example, uh, working from anywhere. And yes, you know, the other day I was a little bit jealous. Um, Martin had this fantastic background of the sea. 
<laughs> in the Dominican Republic in my background as well. I do have a plant, uh, but, but that's as far as it goes. Um, when you are in a corporate environment, there are regulations and um, there are employment, let's say, and uh, labor law regulations that do not always allow for the, the working from anywhere policy when you are under a traditional employment contract. So I'm assuming the freelance and your employment setup allows that because you are not employing directly the, these entrepreneurs, uh, but they have their own individual either company setup or freelance setup. Is that is that a fair thing to say that that's probably one of the presuppositions until we have these anachronistic laws and employment that uh, the, the framework within which people are working with you is, is really quite different. Yeah, and, and that's why flexibility, as I name it, is the future of work for a simple reason. Why would you recruit only on a specific territory while you have the entire world uh, with, filled with talents anywhere? And the answer is yes, labor law is preventing you from doing this. So to overcome that, I think the law will change as well. Yeah. To overcome that, you need um, freelancers, people who have their own companies or their own status. And the second thing is that people, or at least talented people, um, global people, people that are speaking several languages, are more and more mobile, meaning they are moving during their life. My life has been in five or six countries so far. And there are at least three countries where I spent more than 10 years. Um, and most of the people in my team actually have been living already over the past four years in several countries themselves. So your own aspiration have to match as well um, the ones of the company. And to do so, we need a more flexible uh, framework. Mm -hmm. And until we have it, therefore, it is, um, <clears throat> if we now talk about how companies can leverage these new ways of working. I mean, until you have those uh, new employment, let's say frameworks that allow you to get this greater flexibility. So for example, countries like France or Italy or Portugal or Spain, employment laws are so tight that it is really, I mean, it's easy to hire, but then it's difficult to let go. And I think the future is all about this fluidity of people coming in and out um, but to be able to have that fluidity like you are having as well in a way within your, your collective, it, it does require a different, um, a different framework. So how, how would you, how do you see that moving forward as well? You know, for one thing is startups, smaller companies like yourselves that maybe you can afford, uh, to, you know, that's also an important, you know, size perhaps does matter in these things. Um, and how, how do you see that maybe evolving into something more scalable, like maybe even for digital, your, your collective agency? How can you scale a model like that, for example? Well, there are indeed two different setups. They are the one giving the, providing the microservices to other companies like we are doing. Mm -hmm. This can scale up to quite a lot. And this is what I'm aiming at and what I'm, my, my vision is to be between 200 and 1,000 people in the coming years because the methodology is shared among the people, the mindset is shared, the culture is shared, and of course, the processes are um, similar. Then 
the idea is to be able to cover a field that is an ever-growing field. So for this, we need ever-growing team of specialists. Mm. And these specialists, they need to train on a weekly basis. Um, I think it's a, it's a point that we tend to forget. The future of work is an ever more complex world, not only because of the microservices, but everything is getting extremely technical, especially in the digital world. How can you have a workforce that is keeping up with such a complexity? It's yeah. literally impossible. I can give you one example. I think you know Thomas. You've been working with him a bit. He's been working 15 years in Google Ads uh, uh, environments. He knows everything. Well, he told me at the beginning of the year, I had to relearn everything I knew. I've been training constantly almost every day. I'm, I'm spending at least 20% of my time just training. This guy was already a specialist, much better than anybody at, at, at Swiss companies, if I may say. Um, and he's still learning. So you need this workforce that has also the flexibility to learn on its own. And doing this during your nine to five job where you have to show your effort, it's very hard. It's not part of the DNA. So you need also these people that can constantly, with self-discipline, learn and stay up to date. I think it's a, it's a key point. It almost sounds like a mindset thing because it's, it really sounds like, you know, you cannot wait like Thomas or other folks um, in these highly ever-changing. I, I, I read somewhere at the IBM um, CHRO at the time had said your um, skills um, shelf life is less than the shelf life of a food product. <laughs> so it's max to say three months. <laughs> and because you're constantly, especially in the technology world, um, but it does beg the question, how do people get that learning? And I'm assuming, I don't know, how do you, what's the benefit you can provide as well to your workforce in terms of, hey, join us because Okay, you have the flexibility, you're an entrepreneur yourself, you're part of Fantastic Collective. How, how, do, how do you bring them in and continue to nurture their, their development, their growth um, in, in, in that setup? Well, I'm going to answer this question, but in, in, in two times. The number one priority for me is to hire people with a specific mindset. You're very right. Um, before I was hiring mainly on competencies and skills, especially technical skills, it did change a lot over the past four years. Because what I'm looking for, what the, the main guiding principle for my team is impact. So the way you do it is the most important uh, way. Mm -hmm. So you may think I'm only recruiting technical people, but actually I'm recruiting the mindsets. Like I said, for Thomas, he's always learning. I'm recruiting for self-organization, self-education, it's only a load if you're a freelancer because you need this time and this mindset to, mm. to grow on your own. The second thing is I need people that uh, can create methodology, that are good at coordination. And last but not least, that are solution-oriented. Mm. So my point is not to show the effort to the client, is to bring solutions to the client. That's already uh, another mindset. The rest, all the technical skills, you can learn it. And the idea of the collective, that's the second part, is actually to mm -hmm. provide this. So the best way to provide this is by providing a large diversity of projects across many industries. 
if you're within one company, one large corporation, most of the time you're siloed into a single department. Therefore, the diversity of situations you have to handle on a daily basis is very limited. So you become very good at one specific task or one specific set of projects, but you rarely have the possibility to uh, really learn across many industries and see what's going on uh, outside of your perimeter. Um, a lot of companies are talking about uh, yeah, you have to be innovative. Uh, you ha we have to bring um, out-of-the-box solutions. It's literally impossible if you're not connected to this diversity on a daily basis. So that's what we bring. Mm -hmm. Second thing that we bring is the zero hierarchy process. Is the so one, Zero hierarchy. Ah, so okay. We don't have yeah. management layers. Yeah. Everybody's at the same level. I am at the same level as my team. And the idea is, one, we can debrief on a weekly basis, we have these meetings normally on, on, on Fridays, um, and we can debrief all together about obstacles and, and, and issues with different missions. Therefore, we learn from each other, even if you're not involved into this specific mission, which you never do in a large corporation. You never debrief about a project that is not yours. You're invited to meetings only when it's, um, when it's about your project. The third thing is that we, do provide trainings for others, many our clients, and now we are opening actually to the public. And therefore you have to self-reflect on your own work, structure it, process it in a way that you can communicate it. We tend to communicate it to our clients, so has to be able to close the chapter that we are working on and either move to another chapter with the same client or move to another client. We don't have the need to stay forever. So to re-internalize the knowledge is very important. This is maybe a topic that I'm going to develop a bit later. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. This is the end of part one with my conversations with Tim. Make sure you tune into part two as we continue to explore new paradigms of work specifically related to the workforce. Take good care as always and do stay tuned.